0: Welcome comrades to the Conversations That Matter podcast. Is that too soon? Should I say comrades? Anyway, my name is John Harris and the reason I'm making this podcast, one of them at least, is because I I think it is too soon to say comrades. We are still in the middle of a presidential election, whether you like it or not. I know it's stressful for some. I remember the Bush Gore thing. This is like 10 times that. This is so irregular. There's so many instances of deceit and fraud and ballot harvesting, etc., that um, it, it just it, it's staggering at this point. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty confident Trump won this thing, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm confident Trump legally—we're like we're talking about legal votes Trump won. Now, if we're just talking about every vote, the fake ones included, the votes from dead people, the votes from elderly people who, when they got to the polls, were told they had already voted— Um, The votes uh, that were just made up, the votes that didn't count because Sharpies were used. I mean, these kinds of things, um, that all adds up. Uh, When you have certain areas uh, reporting more votes than registered voters in that area, you know, something's just a a little fishy. Uh, Just saying. So don't think this is over. If George W. Bush was in the White House and this had happened, it probably would be over. But George W. Bush is not in the White House. Donald Trump is in the White House and um donald trump is aware of a lot of these things he is sending lawyers out he's doing the best he can and if you're concerned for our country which i you know we should be because it's just because it's close is enough to be concerned but if you're concerned uh the thing is to pray uh my advice would be to stay off uh social media if it's getting you too discouraged stay stay off the media i mean if you remember at the beginning of this year when we had the covid stuff the black lives matter protests etc if you remember you had every voice in society, in lockstep, saying the same thing. All the media, social media, your business you frequent, your business you work for, uh, even your church in many instances, saying the same exact thing. Who is the outlier? Donald Trump. Much of the time, it was Donald Trump. And um, as maybe pathetic as some of you think this is, it's somewhat shocking to me. Oftentimes, Donald Trump was actually the boi- voice of common sense. And right now, Donald Trump is the voice of common sense right now. Uh, literally everything is stacked against him. People in his own party are against him. But the reality of the situation is this election has been really, really fishy. And there does need to be some uh, some investigation into this. And once, you know, if these investigations can go through, if there uh, can be a, a fair election where legal votes are counted and not illegal votes... Uh, then i 'm pretty confident i 'll be honest with you now i don 't know if that 's going to happen that's that 's the big question in my mind. Are we going to be able to get to the bottom of uh, differentiating between legal and illegal legal ballots or not? if we can 't do that, if we are blocked from that uh, then yes we we are taking a, a big giant leap towards uh, we already have actually but we're we 're solidifying our giant leap towards becoming. Uh, kind of like a banana republic. The corruption, uh, kind of as Stalin said, I mean, a lot of people are re-quoting, re-posting this quote from Stalin. Uh, it's not the ballots that are counted, but who counts the ballots. And that is true. So um, we need to fight this now. This is Our, our country does hang in the balance. And, and how do we do that? How do we do that? Um, so I, I want to get practical with you. I want to talk about some things, whether Trump uh, pulls this off and is able to Um, be able to determine what the legal versus illegal votes are, or whether uh, he's blocked and Biden, you know, is there, they say that Biden's the president, even when there's questions about whether he did became president legally, we want to talk about those implications. We want to talk about uh, what the path forward is for us as Christians, uh, as uh, religious conservatives, or I should say theological conservatives, as political conservatives, because we're theological conservatives. Uh, We want to talk about what this means for us. And that's what we're going to do today. We're gonna get practical. Uh, we can't just sit sit down and refresh social media. That's that's not gonna help anyone. Um, I will tell you what I think we should do on social media, and we're and we're gonna get there. So, uh, first things first, though. Let's start with kind of what happened. A review of what happened in the election, and um, I think you know everyone's kind of already familiar with this, but I, I I want to ingrain it in our minds. This is what happened, guys. Do not disbelieve. Do, do not believe. Uh, anything you're hearing to the contrary this is what we we lived it we saw it uh there were early calls for biden in states like virginia like arizona where they didn't even have the votes yet to determine whether biden had won there but they're already calling it for biden fox news uh, notoriously called arizona way too early for biden which perhaps even suppressed the vote in nevada i mean this is this is uh, irresponsibility but yet it took them forever to call places like florida for donald trump um And the way things were going last night, you would have thought that Trump at about midnight, one o'clock, should have been able to have a victory speech if we're playing by the rules that the media, you know, we we thought normally plays by. Uh, But that didn't happen. And um, the the counting stopped in many of these states controlled by Democrats that are swing states. That doesn't happen. I can't remember that happening ever. You just stop counting. So, so we they stopped updating, and, and then all of a sudden, there's these, really what has, people have questioned, is there ballot harvesting going on? Because all of a sudden, these big dumps of all these ballots for Biden exclusively, or the like overwhelming majority for Biden, um, that doesn't happen. And then uh, there's suppression on social media. The president is suppressed, many of his tweets, um, I'm noticing weird things on social media, even the things I'm tweeting. Uh, that um, I mean, there's just a lot going on there, and, and you guys are well aware of that. So I don't need to probably wax long, but there's just been a lot of suppression on social media, and then there's a circling of the wagons, and that's where where we are right now. We are living in the middle of the circling of the wagons to isolate Trump to put him on an island. His view is crazy. He's kooky. Everyone knows that Trump is wrong. Don't buy it. Don't repeat it. Don't post it. Um, don't uh, support the overwhelming narrative at this point. Unless you think you can really, you got clear, uh, solid proof, don't don't go with it. Uh, be very critical of that because that's exactly what they want you to do. They want you to isolate Trump more. They want you to put him on an island and they want to sew this thing up and coronate Joe Biden. And um, there, there's a lot of fishy stuff going on. We, we can't just coronate someone if we don't, uh, if we don't know that they actually won. So um, here here's some just things that I've seen that uh, are are frankly, um, <laughs> well, they, they prove, in my mind, they prove that there's some fishy business. And I'm going to go over a bunch of them. Ballot dumps. Why were there dumps for Joe Biden where Joe Biden's receiving all these votes and Donald Trump's e- either receiving no votes or uh, like a, a minimal amount that, that it's just, is insane, like statistically impossible. Uh, here's a few things. Uh, this was yesterday night. Two more batches of Pennsylvania votes uh, were reported 23,277 votes in Philadelphia, all for Biden, about 5,300 votes in Luzerne County, nearly 4,000 of which were for Biden. Um, with 83% of the expected vote in, Trump's lead in Pennsylvania is now just below six points. So 23,277 votes, all of a sudden, boom, hey, we got a bunch of votes. And it oh, looks like all of them are for Biden, every single one. Mm-mm. I'm sorry. Um, here's another one. Analysis, seven Milwaukee awards reported more 2020 presidential votes than registered voters. Biden nets 146,000 votes in the city. This is Milwaukee City Wire. This is local news. You got to go to the local news at this point. I mean, so many. I mean, even a lot of local news outfits are controlled by major media companies. But major media uh, is not doing their job, in my opinion, right now. And so this this is where we are. Uh, Wisconsin turnout, and this was an interesting one. So Wisconsin turnout, the highest it's ever been, it looks like uh, from nineteen sixty to twenty twenty. The high, well, you know, two thousand sixteen. The highest it's ever been uh, was seventy two point ninety nine percent in nineteen sixty. In 2016 it was sixty-seven percent. In twenty twenty it's over eighty-nine percent. Excuse me. That now is that possible? I don't know if it's possible, but the likelihood of that is ins that's insane. How you went from 67% to 89% participation. Who are all those extra people showing up? We know that Trump people showed up. Uh, We know that um, in areas that Trump, many areas uh, that Trump won, he expanded his base. So who are these extra people? And this is the question that's been going on. Here's the graphic that got censored on Twitter. But, um, and, and, and they're saying it's a glitch. I mean, this needs to be investigated, guys. Michigan. Donald Trump's up in Michigan, right? And then there's an update. And in the update, all of a sudden, uh, Joe Biden goes from one million nine hundred ninety-two thousand to two million one hundred thirty thousand six hundred ninety-five, and that's it. No votes for Trump. Not one single vote for Trump in that update. I'm not buying it, guys. Something's is up. Here's a, here's two charts that you should. This shows the dump. Here's Wisconsin. Republican votes, Democrat votes. Republicans are above Democrats. You can see that. uh, And you can see the Trump vote, right? And all of a sudden, this total presidential votes for each party so far, with 89% of Wisconsin's expected vote counted as of 623 a.m. on November 4th. Republicans are winning. And all of a sudden, a straight uh, vertical line. And it's all Biden. And all of a sudden, Biden tightens it up with Trump. What's that about? It's steady, 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 and whoop, straight line. No Trump votes, just a bunch of Biden votes. What's that about? Here's here's what people are reporting on the ground. And this first person, now there's there was other people that I know, uh, the, at least who are fans of this show, etc., who were saying similar things. I'm just taking this one guy. Uh, this is on Facebook comment he left. I'm going to read this to you, Bubba Sheffield. My sister took my mom and dad to vote yesterday in Albany, Georgia. And when they ran my mom's DL, they told her she had already voted. There were 30 to 40 others there that had been told the same thing. My sister's friend in town about 50 miles away said the same thing was occurring at their poll. These were all older white voters. When my sister posted this on Facebook, the fact checkers told her it wasn't true and was fake news. She replied and asked how they could possibly know it wasn't true, and they threatened to suspend her for her reply. The left is trying to steal this election. My mom got to vote after about an hour and after they canceled the other vote. How many people are willing to wait an hour to cancel a previous vote they never cast? This is in a swing state, supposedly, a state that Biden is, uh, But bi- there's no way in my mind Biden won Georgia, but this is the state they're trying to win. Here's someone uh, from Michigan. Um, I know my state of Michigan. I am also an election official. I know that any of the votes cast after eight on election day are not valid. We had our machines tabulated and results in to our clerk by 10 p.m. Any votes counted after midnight are fraud. Please fight for Michigan. Trump crushed it in our state until mysteriously at three thirty in the morning kerry sheffield breaking was yesterday trump filing georgia lawsuit says gop poll observers saw 53 late absentee ballots illegally added to a stack of on-time absentee ballots in chatham county we will not allow democratic election officials to steal this election And here's the suspicious activity. You'd think with all this going on, and this is just tip of the iceberg, um, and we, <laughs> it really is, if with all this going on, uh, you'd think there'd be some kind of like a, 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 an attempt to answer these things, to be open and transparent. But here's the scene at Detroit's absentee ballot counting center yesterday. The windows were covered up. Allegations of violations. Secretary of State says she welcomes challenges. Really? She welcomes challenges? Uh, In Detroit, when you're covering up the windows of where they're counting the absentee ballots and people have said they've seen fishy business and you're just going to cover the windows. Interesting. Voters in Arizona complained ballot marked using Sharpies were rejected. This is one, there was a video that went viral two days ago of uh, folks in in, uh, Arizona. They said it happened on a number of different uh, polling sites and uh, they showed up. And some of them were, you know, I think it was some Republicans trying to hand out ballpoint pens. These, these, you got to use pens, ink, to make sure that the machine reads it. And they were being confiscated by election officials and told they had to use Sharpies, which the machines don't read, apparently. Uh, here's another one. Um, ballot of Cure canvassing training, Democrat Party of Georgia. Someone posted it on Twitter, anyone in Georgia, Team Joe needs people to go door to door helping voters fix their mail-in ballots so they count sign up What's that about? After the election? This was yesterday on the 4th. Fixing their vote. It's interesting. Okay. We are <laughs> we are really acting like we're two countries at this point. Some of these social issues that we found in these initiatives in certain states show kind of where we're at and why we are a country very divided right now uh it's like we have two countries uh colorado restore gray wolves passes yes uh over 50 percent ban late-term abortions no 50 over 59 percent. so we want to restore the gray wolves but we don't want to ban late-term abortions well, that says it all colorado um in virginia uh, over, I'm gonna just read this from the Virginia flaggers tonight. The citizens of Virginia overwhelmingly voted to keep their Confederate monument in every locality that allowed them to vote on the matter. Major victories in six localities. This is an interesting thing because the elites all say that this is. Everyone thinks it's it's these are racist. Uh, we, you know they need to be gotten rid of. They don't reflect who we are, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And when the voters get the chance to actually address these issues, not the town board, not a court not um, protesters violently ripping a monument down. The citizens want to keep them. So that's, you know, that you could say, wait, that's way out of step with the mainstream. Well, it's not the mainstream. It's the elites. <laughs> that's what it's out of step with. It's elite thinking. Here's another one. Louisiana voters overwhelmingly back pro-life amendment to state constitution. And a bit of good news for the pro-life movement, Louisianans have voted overwhelmingly in favor of a constitutional amendment that would prevent courts from finding that the state constitution contains a right to abortion. So chipping away at abortion. And I'm sure there's more that I could have uh, listed here, but you get the point. Uh, th- there, There's a wild difference, <laughs> especially that Colorado one. There is a huge difference between voters in certain areas and voters in other areas. It's, it's, It's... It's a night and day, and that's the kind of country that we are living in right now. And in some ways, that's a scary thing. I want to show you something now. I'm I'm going to bring the encouragement. You got to wait for it though. I got to show you something here. So this this is super interesting uh, to me. We're going to go online. I'm going to show you. Um, this is the this is Michigan, and we're going to do a search here. I'm going to do it live. Well. I uploaded. I'm doing it right now as I'm recording this video. Search for your voter information. So we're typing in a name here. This is William Bradley, birth month March, birth year 1902, 48207. 1902. All right. This is William Bradley. And remember, Michigan's a swing state. Let's see if William Bradley voted in the last election. Election date 11 3 2020, application received on 9 11. 2020 ballot sent 919 2020 ballot received 10 2020 so let's get this straight someone who was born in 1902 voted in the election in michigan and you can see all the proof right here we'll see how long this kind of thing stays up and how long you're able to go check whether or not you voted in the election in some of these states so there's funny business going on guys there is no doubt about it that there is A whole lot of funny business going on. All right, moving forward, I want to talk to you briefly about the evangelical reaction to what's going on here. And um, I I woke up to this. This was interesting. SEBTS, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, filed a copyright claim against me today, uh, which is totally legal under fair use. I played less than two minutes of um, a talk that, a library talk that they did called The Lingering Effects of Lynching. I was supposed to show how Uh, Our preaching should be somehow impacted by the legacy of racially motivated lynching. And one of the statements made in this, and I played it in that clip, was a professor uh, who was invited to come to Southeastern uh, who said that Donald Trump, because of his immigration policies, rhetoric, etc., he insinuated that he's carrying on the legacy of lynching. And Danny Aiken, the president of the school, uh, went on Twitter and said it was a fine talk. He just wished they talked about abortion, but it was still a fine talk. Didn't take issue with that. And I, th- this is just my opinion. I think at this point, places like Southeastern, it's not just Southeastern, they realize what they've done. They realize people are going to remember things like that. They're going to remember things like uh, another thing that was scrubbed um, a while ago, but the um, you can go on the Wayback Machine and find it. Uh, there was a statement made in 2017 called unifying leadership Uh, i think was the website and i think it was written in part at least by bruce ashford Uh, there's a cnn article that's still there bruce ashford talks about this and it's against the alt-right in trump's administration and it insinuates donald trump is harboring alt-right people and basically klansmen in his administration these white supremacists Uh, so it's an accusation it's a backhanded accusation well, people are going to start remembering things like that. And they're going to say, hold on, did you do that? Did you did you soften the evangelical vote? And in this case, in uh, North Carolina, where Southeastern is, could you have maybe softened the vote there? I mean, it was pretty close. Would maybe your actions against Donald Trump that were unfair, I mean, there's things to say about Donald Trump, but if you're these unfair actions, you know, he's somehow carrying on the legacy of lynching. He's harboring white supremacists in his administration, these kinds of things. Could that have softened the evangelical vote in North Carolina? You bet it softened the evangelical vote, not just in North Carolina, because there's a lot of institutions doing the same kind of thing. And um, I think right now, evangelical evangelical institutions are there getting sensitive because they realized what they did and they know that there are a lot of people like me who remember these things. And regardless of who wins, um the fact that it was this close is going to put pressure on them from the pew sitters from the people that are helping fund these institutions in part there's outside money coming into which we've talked about so um that could be the motivation behind this i don't know but it's very curious that a video from january this morning is the time that they've chosen to file a copyright claim which this falls under fair use i'm sorry And uh, and it's been re-uploaded. You can go to Capstone Report. You can see the clip. I even uploaded the clip that they're complaining about on Twitter. You can go see it there. So um, I I, that's my prediction. That's what I expect moving forward. There's going to be a lot of um, now. Now, here's the thing. Some some institutions went over the cliff. Some organizations went over the cliff and they may be just doubling down on the woke stuff at this point angry at all the trump voters uh, the evangelicals that decided not to follow them that could that's probably going to be happening too but i think there's going to be some that realize wait our base they are a little more conservative and we we went too far and they're remembering it so um that's my prediction so i wanted to show you this because uh, <laughs> this remember i showed you this clip uh last in the last episode i showed it to you from Walter Strickland, a professor at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. I'm going to play a portion of it again. Um, I talked about it. I critiqued it. I went through it. And then I want to play you another clip that's related to the election. And I'm going to show you how this social justice stuff actually practically works. So here we go.
1: Christianity and race in America were intertwined at its inception because... Christianity was the thing used to be able to say, how can we enslave these people, yet evangelize them? And so how, how is it that we can construct or imagine a faith that sets somebody's soul free but keeps their body belonging
0: to us? All right. I critiqued this uh, in the last video that I made, the last podcast. So you can go check that out. I wanted to remind you of that, and then I wanted you to see this clip. It's about two minutes. It's from Charlie Dates, and he's spoken at Southeastern. Uh, where did I'm not sure where he is now. He's let's see, senior pastor, uh, and oh, he's a professor at uh, TEDS, um, which is uh, the Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Okay. I didn't
1: know what Reformed was. I didn't realize that Reformed would later become a kind of political movement within evangelicalism. That's a whole other thing, but. I was just taken by the fact that this guy, this pastor would go and like catechize members within his fellowship and he would pay particularly close attention to how people were developing and I thought that was remarkable. It wasn't until later that I realized this guy was rather sympathetic to slaveholding. Not only him, Ibram Kendi does this for us in Stamped from the Beginning draws a line between Richard Baxter and Cotton Mather, a kind of theological line. Cotton Mather becomes the most uh, well-published theological person in Massachusetts during the colonial period. And there are several decades between Richard Baxter and Cotton Mather. But they become the kind of theological architects, the framers, as it were, of American Christianity in a real sense. And what you discover is that Cotton made their own slaves. I'm not sure that Richard Baxter did, but Cotton made their own slaves. And the problem for Cotton Mather and Richard Baxter is that they felt like the slaves needed to be evangelized. But in order to evangelize the slaves, they had to actually admit that the slaves had souls. Because so what are you going to evangelize somebody for if they don't have a soul? So they had to. Construe a theological framework that honored the sole component of slaves and yet could commoditize the black bodies of slaves. And this is very important, I think, even to where we are as I'm watching election results down the, the way in my study, there has been this bifurcation ever since from curse theory to climate theory to whatever you want to call it to justify the greed, I think, of broader American evangelicalism, the racism, broader American evangelicalism that will affirm the spiritual lives of black and brown people, but will demean black and brown bodies.
0: All right, so this this (laughs) is related to the election and remember i, I played you the clip from, from walter strickland walter strickland is basically saying the same kind of thing um he goes on to say that it's a, just a half gospel if you're just preaching the gospel that saves from the slavery to sin but doesn't slave uh, save from uh, physical slavery that's just a half gospel which i guess paul was just preaching a half gospel to them if that's the case um it it's 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 not a good path to go down uh, and you have to do some crazy eisegetical hermeneutics to try to make Paul say something he wasn't saying. But uh, Strickland um, Strickland makes this argument. And this, is, this is a liberation theology thing. I said, look, I've, I've read this in Cone, I've read this in other uh, Diotis Roberts, uh, li- black liberation theologians. Charlie Dates says essentially the same thing that there's this bifurcation. You have the bodies, right? That sounds almost Foucaultian. There's the bodies, and then there's this spiritual side. But not only is it slavery, these guys invented uh, even. I mean, look at look at this is historically so like <laughs> messy to just like Cotton Mather invented evangelical Christianity in the United States, and here's where we are voting for Donald Trump. Um, because of our racism and our uh, and our our greed that's that's what motivates evangelical christians uh this is inept this is not historically um you can't prove this historically this is actually you're hearing philosophy you're not hearing history and and theology really um this idea that uh, you must not have had the gospel if uh or or somehow had this this shrunken gospel this incomplete gospel this form of christianity which you know just was so uh deficient it wasn't even really christianity uh because there was some kind of oppression that existed in the fabric of the hierarchies of the society you inhabited which was i mean <laughs> At that time that was the way the world was i mean the, the world has mostly been acted with some kind of slavery whether that's a feudalism of, of a certain kind i mean you didn't have the option you were born into it you stayed in it um this is this is human history uh but now in modernity uh we have uh, through technology and the industrial revolution and uh, the, the the great advances that have happened in science we have the ability to, at this point, that could change, guys, but we have the ability to to jump from career field to career field with relative ease. People do it all the time. Um, people can move to different parts of the country. They have mobility. We have technology that helps that. We have There's so many things that are different today. You don't have to rely on the Lord of the land so you can eke out a living on his land, um, which, which was the case for most of European history. Um, it's a different time, but but you take those historical realities uh and then say well because these historical realities existed and the people who had the same bible we have today uh were trying to apply that bible and say, well, what does it say about relationships between masters and slaves we need to evangelize them um, but because that somehow they didn't free their slaves i mean it's ignoring the practicalities of that whether that was even possible in some instances um it, it was a bad Christianity, and we've inherited that legacy. So it's this is how they do it, guys. This is how they blame you. When you say, oh, I never owned any slaves, this is how they blame you for it. This is how they say, Well, oh, it doesn't matter. You're, uh, following of, of you're following in the footsteps of slaveholders. You're following the footsteps of oppressors. Um, and when the Me Too thing starts up again, it's going to be you're following in the footsteps of these horrible, misogynistic theologians who founded our country as well. I mean, they'll pick anything. And, and they can relate it. And this is, how, this is how Marxists work. I've said this. They'll call you some kind of an abuser, racist, sexist, homophobic, whatever, in two steps or less. They can do it. It doesn't matter. They, they'll, it's like, it's worse than the associationalism fundamentalists used to have, where they said, well, you talk to someone who talked to someone who talked to a heretic, therefore you're a heretic. This is, this is worse than that. Uh, your whole life can be destroyed. You can be canceled from all your social media and your job even. Uh, your way of making a living for your family if they're able to somehow attach you to something that's attached to something that's attached to something which may have been possibly racist. That's the way that they do it. And they don't have a problem making huge jumps, leaps, passing over hundreds of years of history irresponsibly to do it. Uh, They just don't. And so you're seeing that there. Now, the theology of this, the, the idea that, well, there's your body and then there's your soul. And this idea that they manufactured a theology. It almost seems like they were in a smoke-filled room and they decided, man, we're just going to come up with this theology that we can enslave these guys. And this is what Strickland said in the last video I talked about. We're going to come up with this theology where we can vote for Trump, you know, so, so bad things will happen to minorities because that's, that's our motive. That's what we really want to have happen. I mean, this is impugning the motives of people without evidence. It's just assuming it. We're going to come up with this theology. And then, though, we got to cover ourselves and pacify our minds, so they're going to get their eternal salvation. Um, There's no evidence for this. Tell me, where in Richard Baxter do you find this? Where in Cotton Mather do you find this? Show me the texts. I, I quote Marxists. Look, you read my book. Uh, social justice goes to church the new left and modern American evangelicalism if you've read that book you know I'm quoting Marxists new left thinkers new left evangelicals in their own words I want to accurately represent them show me in Cotton Mather where he says this I'm going to make a bifurcation fact is he doesn't it's an unargued for premise and it's being imposed on us and it and and because it justifies those who want to vilify political conservatives that's their motive. That's what you want. When you voted for Trump, that's what you were thinking. You want to go home to your church, where you can, uh, you know, pretend that you love all kinds of people because you believe they have souls, but you can abuse their bodies by buying their, uh, their, you know, products that are made in sweatshops and um, and voting for Donald Trump, who puts immigrants in cages and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. None of it. It's not argued for. It's not sophisticated. It's not interesting. Uh, but people, um, fall for it because it's emotional. It's an emotional thing. And then that's the only appeal it has recognize it when you see it and point it out. Say that's a bully tactic and you're not appealing to, um, argument. You're appealing to emotions. Uh, that's not what we're supposed to do as Christians. We're supposed to be about truth as Christians. Um, you know, prove it to me, show me in cotton Mather where he says this, what you're saying. So that is my, uh, in case we hear this more from the super woke, um that, that is my advice on how to handle that. Now, I want to bring this to kind of an encouraging and practical conclusion. And I, I think you're gonna find this helpful. This is maybe the most helpful, I think, part of the video. So, so so keep listening. Um few verses, number one, that came to my head during this cycle. Psalm 105. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his faithfulness is to all generations. Absolutely true hold on to that, but that's not the only thing that we should be thinking about. Number two, Leviticus 18.28, so that the land will not vomit you out, you out, should you defile it, as it has vomited out the nations uh, which were there before you. Now, uh, this is talking about the Canaanites, they had participated in all these evil sexual practices that were to eva, meaning uh, abominations to God, and and they defiled the land, and he and uh, God judged them for it, and he brought Israel in. So are we to that point? And I'm, I'm going to let that question stir in your mind, and I want to answer it myself in a moment. But Here's the next verse, Psalm 11, or sorry, Proverbs 11.1. 1, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. All right, so these are the three verses that I've been thinking about. The first one is, you'll hear this from a lot of evangelicals, Hey, look, God's faithful to all generations, not just the, the, the those who this was written to initially, but to us as well. Very true. God is faithful. We can rely on him. People have raised families and functioned even in communist societies. Some of them died, but some of them were able to raise families. And we we just need to keep obeying Christ and focus on eternal things and realizing the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting. And this is not all there is to reality. There's an eternal reality. Very true. Okay. Leviticus 18.28. Um, are we to the point though, in this reality where we live, we know that there's a heavenly reality, but where we live right now in the temporary realm, is it possible that we've reached the point, uh, where the land where we're just so characterized by immorality, sexual immorality that, um, God is judging us and, and, and will judge us. And I think, yeah, the answer is, is yes, but, and I'm going to, I'm going to talk about why I say yes, but in a moment. And the idea of false balances and weights is being d- d- put on display right now by one of the parties in this country. Uh, there is a party in this country um, that uh, the Democrat Party, who will try to win by any means necessary. And this is a this is a classic Marxist tactic. They, if if Trump is literally Hitler, then you must use any means necessary by which to defeat him. And lying, uh, preventing people who want to check. Uh, up on you to make sure you're not lying those kinds of things are perfectly permissible in this moral framework because n justifies the means and everything is about keeping the bad guy out uh, the guy who wants to trample on equality inclusion and equity etc so um the guy holding us back from utopia must be stopped it doesn't matter if we lie cheat steal to do it and um and, and that characterizes one of the political parties in this country uh we're finding that out right now so um so that's, I think, kind of where where we're at. These are the things stirring in my mind. Okay, God is good. Eternal things are true. I can trust in him. But right now, we our system's breaking down because it wasn't made for people who are this uh, willing to break the law and this deceptive. It was made um, for people who are moral and religious. And we're not that anymore. Uh, not not in one party, at least. Um, and uh, we may be reaching the point where the land could vomit us out. That, that we have... Just exceeded uh, the, the sins that God's willing to put up with. Now, I think many of you are, are with me on this. You, you see the same thing. Um, I want to give some practical advice and then I want to talk about how I think churches are handling this. And I'm going to come back to this idea of whether or not we are beyond the pale as I go through this personal advice here. So, practical personal advice. Number one, don't uncritically repeat the news. Okay? We know that there's a party that is trying to to hack this election. Uh, They don't want uh, anyone coming in and supervising their counting. They don't want uh, any kind of um, uh, authority over them. They want to be able to make sure that this election goes in a certain direction. Now, the news media, I think, is complicit with this. Don't just repeat what the news is telling you. You can't trust them. Uh, Don't give up on responsibilities, priorities, and transcendent truths, right? God is faithful. So don't give up on the th- the things he's told us to do in his law. The you're a dad. If you're a dad, you're a dad. You still have that responsibility. You Still got to go to work. Um, transcendent truths. Yeah, like like God is who he says he is. We can trust that he will be the same tomorrow. That he, the same person he is today and was yesterday. Um, now here's here's the thing. Here's where I I, I want to start introducing an idea to you. And this is my localism. And I talked about this before. I'm not a nationalist in the sense that I, you know, rah, rah, rah America, and that's what being conservative is and being an American is, is apple pie, root beer, and Fourth of July fireworks and the Pledge of Allegiance. No, those are good things. Those are great. I love all those things. But um, we don't want to have the outward trappings of... Uh, some antiquated, really, things that could be antiquated if if they're just tradition. but There's no basis for it, no moral understanding or reasoning. It's just, you know, this is where Americans have always been this way. Um, I went to a rally the other day. Here, let me show myself, show my face here. I went to a rally the other day uh, and it was Republican and it was rah, rah, rah America. Great. But there was nothing about being Virginians. There was a little bit about Christianity. You would never hear that in New York. <laughs> but in Virginia, there's still, hey, we need to keep our religious freedom. They had a guy who was uh, a pastor who was up there, a patriot pastor. I don't know what that meant. Um, so there's some good things. I'm not knocking it. Um, what I'm saying is there's something missing. And I, I went away with a little bit of a, I was like, this is encouraging, but there's an empty feeling. Why are we here? Is it just rah, rah, rah America? Or are there some actual real principles Um, that come from some, not just principles hanging out there, floating around that, well, we just like uh, border security because we like border security and it reduces crime. And, uh, you know, we make sure that um, jobs go to Americans and our culture isn't completely defeated by uh, large groups of people coming in. And okay, I I get that. But what's what's beneath that? What's the base for that? Why is that? Why is it so important to preserve America? Why is it so important uh, to make sure that um, our, our jobs aren't taken away? Why? And that's just one issue, but there's a lot of issues out there. Why? why? Ask the why question. Eventually, it's got to get back to something that is firm and transcendent. We've got to be about eternal truths. We've got to be about who God is, what he's done, what he expects of us, and how we apply that to our practical daily existence. Okay. I think that the nation of Israel represented this in a way. Um, they knew who God was. They had his law. There was a national identity. They remembered who they were, but there was a local identity as well. Different tribes, so family groups. They had a, a history. Hey, look at those rocks. Look what, it reminds me of what God did when we crossed the Jordan, that kind of thing. They, had, um, they, they knew who they were because they knew who their God was. And, and they had a record showing them who their God was. And what I'm concerned about in American conservatism, and I've been concerned about this for a long time, is that we have the um, the, the outward trappings, but not enough meat, all right? And the meat is not going to come necessarily at just a political rally. The meat's got to come through education. It's got to come through um, our churches. It's got to come, we have to, to get the meat from other places and then we uh, when we go to a political rally we i think it'll in- enrich it when you n- know that the person next to you they understand why the founders uh why, why they wrote the constitution the way they did they understand the christian principles they were working off of they understand why people fled from europe to the united states uh initially uh well before it was the united states um there's an understanding of the history of um the, the principles involved. I mean, we have such a rich history. There's an understanding of uh, biblical law, what God has required, what he expects. That's the most important thing of all this. I don't always get that impression. And I don't always get the impression that we know how to apply all that to our local daily existence. In other words, are we living these things at home? Do we talk to our children, to our our family members, our friends about these things? Because they are so dear and important to us. Uh, we, we believe in um, private property because we believe we must fulfill the responsibilities that God has given us. And we, we have responsibility to take care of those around us. That's why we believe in private property. Uh, it, it, it is our duty to something greater. There's a transcendent truth behind it. And I hope I'm making sense. So um, that being said, I, I, the two things, um, really three, three things along this line, practically speaking, we can do right now. And I'm going to tell you what those are. <laughs> Number one, get off alternative social media platforms. This is like a really simple thing. Now, now here's I want to put a caveat on this. I have mainstream social media platforms. You're probably watching this on YouTube or Facebook or something. So, so realize when I say this, I'm not I'm not telling you that you must. This isn't an imperative for me that you have to get off completely. These are tools, but the tools are being used against us now. That is so clear with the especially Twitter right now. I've been thinking about Twitter at the very least, what I'm going to do after this all clears up, I'm waiting, uh, is I'm going to reduce the amount of time that I'm using Twitter. And I'm going to bring, I think most of my stuff I, I, I was debating, is it gonna be Gab is going to be parlor. I think it's gonna be parlor for me for now. There's Gab as well. There's, um, there's other, you know, minds and other social media sites. We'll probably see more pop up, but I'll put the links in the info section. Um, start, if you're going to spend time on social media, you might want to just start spending more of it on a different media source, but get on parlor or something. Don't use Twitter as much. Don't give them that power to censor you. Um, don't, uh, just look through censored, filtered information, uh, when, when you can go somewhere and get it, uh, and, and support the advertising at a place where they don't have that. So that's, that's one thing that I, I wanna encourage you to think about doing. And it may look different for everyone. And I know there's some people who say, well, there's still a battle on Twitter. We still need to fight it on Twitter. Everyone's on Twitter. So it's a great place to do it. I get that. But if we all keep thinking that way, then we, we're not gonna make the exodus we need to make. We need to destabilize places like Twitter, all right? And I'm fine helping lead that exodus. So um, so that's, that's one of the things. Um, Rumble, that's a, I actually just got a Rumble account today. That's like a YouTube alternative. So so I'm looking at all this stuff. Um, the other thing is think local, act local. In your local community, it starts with your family, but your local community, so your um, you know, restaurant that you might frequent, don't just go to the fast food place, the corporate chain, the those that's not wrong. I mean, I look, I love going to Texas Roadhouse. I love going to uh like Bojangles and stuff I mean, it's not wrong to do that. But in try to encourage the local businesses in your community. Uh there's no reason when you go to Burger King, you should have a rainbow flag on your cup, but they're playing to this national audience. So it's one size fits all for everyone. The guy in San Francisco, you know, is making the decision for the rural guy in Alabama on what he wants on his, his cup. Why, why do that? Um, and, and, and here's and I said, I would come back to this. Here's where I want to try to answer this question, or at least give you another thought to think about. Have we reached the point of no return? Are we to the point that the land's just going to spew us up because of all our immoralities? Well, who is the we? That's what I want to challenge you to think about. Who is the we? When I say we, am I saying me and a guy in Silicon Valley who's uh, left of Stalin? You know, is that, are we, how much do we share in common? Remember, my wife and I travel, we were in San Francisco. I'm from California originally, so I can say this, but uh, I haven't lived most of my life there, but I have still a family there and we're traveling there. And we went to San Francisco and we went, there was this art uh, festival thing and we walked in and I mean, just the whole experience in San Francisco, but this was the epitome of it. I just thought, this is like traveling to another country. <laughs> so different than Virginia. And in and, and diversity, you know, different different foods, different flavors and different uh, dress. And I mean, I get that like that and that's nice, but there's a different worldview going on, a different religion going on. And um, I, I'm not convinced that we're one nation in the sense of, I know the Pledge of Allegiance says this, but we're not one nation in the sense of, uh, you know, like George Washington said, we have a common, in his farewell address, common heritage, common religion. Um, we have uh, common language, right? That was kind of what held Americans together. And even then there were a lot of differences between people in the North and the South and different states, et cetera. But those things aren't necessarily holding us together much anymore. We don't have those things in common. And so when we say, are, are we as a nation going to be spewed up? And well, maybe, but who's the we? And this is why I think it's important to think local and act local. Not to, it, It's impossible to function the way that we're functioning. We can't sustain this unless there's some kind of jackboot totalitarianism that just forces everyone to conform. Uh, we, we can't, we, we have nothing in common. <laughs> so those of us in certain areas and those of us in other areas. Uh, I mean, you look at an electoral map, you know, it's the cities that uh, Tim Keller loves so much that have, are making the decisions for so many of the states. And there, there's a divide. There is a huge divide. And it's, it's a, a lot of it comes back to a religious divide, at least base fundamental first principle assumptions about reality. And so I think, if you can restore power to the local community, then you can do way more than even um, e- e- even winning a national election. If we could ever get back to that point, and I don't know if we will, but if you're just a construction worker or you say, I'm just a, a plumber, why not run for the town board? Why not uh, figure out a way to um, try to support local businesses, uh, put time into your family? Um, you know, You got to make your personal choices where you're at, but- Uh, less time and less money on the rah, rah, rah America, more time on educating the people in your community, more time on putting into actual tangible people in your area. And then if that works itself up and now you can run for, if you're political, let's say you run for a higher office, do it. We need Christians in these positions, we really do. But what makes your area special? Your family, your area, where you live, what 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 sets you apart from other places? Take pride in that. Um, in, in, in the sense of make, make you know, that's part of your identity. Uh, and, and I think that can, that's a hedge against um, the internationalism that the Democrat Party wants to enact on us. We're all just humanoids, carbon f- figures walking around, carbon machine, because now they want to join machines with humans. Uh, watch the fourth industrial revolution video. Um, get back to the, the things that matter, the tangible things, the local things uh, that ties to the land ties to, even if you don't have land ties to your local area, right? That's, that's, if, if, if there's anything that is a takeaway, I, I hope you, you hear me when I say this. Um, and, and I, I just, I just think that that's the way the founders intended it. We, we, we used to have real federalism. It was more important who was elected governor than who was elected president, more important who was elected mayor than who was elected governor. Cause those people had more control over your life and there was more accountability in that. We don't have accountability. You can't reach out and talk to your president, but you can talk to your mayor. So, so these are the kinds of things that um, I, I think you know. Social issues, especially, can be adjudicated on a local level. And I understand, you know, the things that the federal government, the national government, the, the common government was created for, uh, the general government, was mainly for for defense, uh, for interstate commerce, um, for uh, trade. These kinds of things. But a lot of these issues that we're fighting about now, these can be adjudicated on a state and local level. They really can, and they should be. I don't know if we'll ever get back to that. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm a dreamer at this point. But, but I think that it's important for us to get involved on the local level. Um, and every, everyone's different. I mean, look, in my podcast, look, I'm, I'm talking to you guys all over the world. I get that there's an issue that's affecting you on the local level. And I'm speaking into that, and, and we need that. I, you know, I'm not trying to be a hypocrite here, um, but I'm just trying to 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 show you what I think in general the emphasis ought to be moving forward for conservatives. Uh, so so we can do that. There's practical ways that we can do that um, to decenter some of these big corporations that are going woke and etc. Uh, the other thing is the churches. Um, look, if you're going to a church and it's woke or they're just you know, teetering, they're not taking stands, solid stands on things that matter, that are, that, you, know, you, can't, you can't trust them because you saw what they did during COVID and you're not gonna be able to trust them uh, during a Biden administration. I mean, look, in England right now, apparently it's illegal to go to church. Um, you gotta start another church. You gotta find another church. I, I don't know what else to tell you on this. I am, I, I've said this for a few weeks. Um, I've been working with some guys. Uh, we have a website now. And um, I think they're waiting on me right now. I've been really busy the last two weeks, um, but I'm planning on today or tomorrow w- trying to work on, okay, what are we going to put up, uh, at least for a rudimentary uh, initial statement of faith, th- these kinds of things. And it's going to be a platform for you guys to get on there and find each other. If you're in a, a town and it's got 40 people that have left their church, you don't know each other, this will help connect you guys to each other. So um, so that's one thing that uh, is practical. Now I want to, uh, leave you with this this may be uh one of the the more uh, interesting things to you uh this is how i divide up the churches and how they think about these issues uh the political issues specifically and there's there's ecclesiastical churches uh where the in other words the church is the most important institution we know that god gave us the church the individual the family and the civil realm uh so there, there's these four kind of institutions God gives us different responsibilities and roles to. There are churches where, and I've seen this, where the ecclesiastical thing is the most important. What does that look like? Well, the only, you know, as long as you got a church that uh, understands what elder qualifications are and exegeting the word of God and making sure that you get people into those positions that can technically exegete the word of God and there's accountability with the elders. And, and that's like the most important thing. We don't really talk about other issues as much. Okay, that's that's I've seen it's an emphasis thing, but I've I've seen this. There's other churches where um your individual relationship with God is just the most important thing. Uh, We don't talk about ecclesiology, elders, church government, civil government. It's just hey, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus, right? Pietism. There's the the kind of family family first churches. Sometimes uh, they family integrated churches can sort of be along this lines where the family is the most important institution, and the all the emphasis is on the family. And oftentimes a lot of those churches, they don't reach out or do evangelism or hold events as much. Um, they're just trying to get together with like-minded families um, because, and, and the, and the you know, father is the priest of the home and stuff. So, so there, there's that. And I've, I've been to churches like that. Um, there's also churches that are, where the civil realm is the most important thing. Woke churches can be like this, but also the rah, rah, rah American churches, your, your grandparents' church that might be like that too. Some fundamentalist churches can be like that, and constantly talking about national issues. Now, here's what I'd like to suggest. All of these things are important. Every single one of these institutions is important, and preaching, and pastors, and churches that uh, understand that, I think, do the best, and I think at the founding of our country, I think there was actually, there was people that thought, okay, the law of God applies to all of life, but there are different um, roles that different uh, institutions have. And so um, you would have a lot of political sermons, you know, outright political, naming the candidate. I mean, this was so common. I mean, go read the There's a book called the, uh, the I think part of the title is The Black-Robed Regiment. I have it on my bookshelf somewhere. But, um, but look at some of the sermons from the colonial period, and you'll see this. Um so there's an understanding that the church has a specific role but because one of those roles is interpreting uh and applying scripture um it's going to instruct on these other roles the church is going to do that Why am I bringing this up? Because I think <laughs> this is going to be very important moving forward. If we are getting what I think we're going to eventually get if Biden ends up pulling this off. If we are going to get the uh great reset Uh, We are going to be in kind of a crisis for a few different reasons. Reason number one is, did Biden actually legitimately win this election? If that becomes shown, if it's shown that he did not win this election fair and square, we have a crisis because does Romans 13 now, uh, which the misuse of Romans 13 has now been all too common. I think Romans 13 is talking about a function of government um, and the office is for the function of government. That's why it's there. Um, Does it justify a tyrant, someone who actually uh, broke the law or uh, got into the position they're in because might makes right? Does it justify a Christian submitting to that person? It's going to be a big question. And if you look at the four kinds of churches, the emphasis, um, a lot of these these churches, uh, I would say the ecclesiastical ones, aren't probably... They're not equipped at this point to probably give you a great answer on that. Um, the, the ones that only focus on an individual relationship, they're not going to be equipped to give you a good answer on that. The ones where the family is just the most important thing. They may not be as, you know, that may be a reason. Now, maybe they will. I don't know. But churches that have that emphasis, that haven't thought through these questions, uh, they're, they're going to they're, they're gonna have a problem. Because there's a lot of questions that are going to be coming up. A lot of things are going to be nationalized. The church is going to be expected to be conforming, and I don't even know what all to yet. But there's going to be a lot of um, calls for the church to conform to certain things, and there's going to be a crisis if this happens. And it could be halfway into the Biden administration. But there's going to be a lot of questions about what authority the government has from people who don't understand a lot of civics, unfortunately, because that wasn't their emphasis. So. So be aware of that going into, I, and I'm just encouraging you, this isn't to bash any particular church. It's not, if you're a pastor who's listening um, and, and you say, hey, man, I see myself in one of these categories. I I'm, I don't know a lot about civics. You're going to have to be able to understand civics. That And that means, that doesn't mean just reading your Bible. You're going to have to understand, okay, what is American law to an ex- extent? And um, what, what, okay, what is, start by reading the constitution, read the Federalist Papers, understand though where you live understand your local, um, uh, constitution, read that for your state, for your, for your, your local area. Uh, what are the kinds of things? And you don't need to know every single detail about everything, but be able to apply the word of God to this field. Cause it's going to be important real quick. Uh, I, 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 believe it's already important. And I think we saw the deficiency, um, because most churches aren't, aren't, they're just not equipped for this kind of thing. Um, so that's, that's kind of like a, uh, my uh, <laughs> encouragement to pastors and to you, if you're not a pastor, to, to perhaps um, start asking some harder questions. Um, start asking, hey, what if, uh, what if the, the new administration just nationalizes uh, you know, social distancing because there's a flare-up of COVID, COVID-20, and tr- going to church is illegal? What would you do in that case, right? Ask a question like that. Have you thought through it? Uh, what about the constitutional ramifications of that? Have you thought through that? Um, I think more and more churches are starting to think through these things, uh, but but there's a lot of questions that are going to be coming up. So hopefully that breakdown was helpful for some of you in understanding kind of why I think a lot of churches who might maybe even have very similar faith statements, but why their emphases are different. Uh, I, <laughs> I've I've been a part of, um, I would say, I, or at least I've visited, I think, churches that would fall into all of these categories. The civil realm, yeah, I because I've, I've been to some woke churches. So I think I've, I've been to churches that actually fall into all of these categories. And, uh, and so um, my encouragement is to be balanced in that way. So some practical advice for you, uh, a breakdown of how different churches could be responding to this election thing. Um, you know, does it mean we submit to Joe Biden if he's an illegitimate president? You might want to start thinking about, hey, if you're a pastor, what does that mean? What does the Bible say about this? Does it give us instructions? One person asked me, final thought here, uh, which goes along the theme of the Think Local, Act Local. One person asked me on Patreon, hey, um, can we secede? Like, it's just, what about secession? And I haven't responded yet, but I'll respond here. I mean... If, if you understand civics, if you understand the founding of this country, I mean, this country was born out of secession from Great Britain. We seceded then from the Articles of Confederation. Uh, and uh, the treaty that was made after the war with England was made to each individual 13 colonies. It wasn't There wasn't one treaty. It was 13 separate treaties that were made, peace treaties. Um, people, but before the Civil War, it was commonly thought. I mean, look at the Hartford Convention. New England wanted to secede. Uh, and, and and you know th- this is something that has, has been in american uh you know american thinking for a long time you know, there's a book uh, called the view of the constitution by Re- william rawl used a standard curriculum at west point the civil war generals would have read it and it blatantly says yes secession is a viable option in certain circumstances um nullification another one can states just nullify uh federal law or a court action um I think there are reasons to do those kinds of things. But if, if you haven't ever studied any of that, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you're gonna have a hard time when you start trying to apply scripture to a system that you don't understand. So that's my encouragement. Uh, at least understand some rudimentary basics. So um, I hope that helps. Um, God bless. And let's, let's keep praying, guys. Let's pray for uh, the president. Let's pray for uh, our country. Uh, Let's pray for our local area, and uh, let's pray for each other as Christians moving forward. So, God bless. Sick
1: of being upsold
0: at gyms?